The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith, and welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio broadcast on Voice America Variety and simultaneously on Project Freedom Radio Network. Just a reminder that the archives are available 24-7 at Voice America Variety on my host page or on my website, leahbrendasmith.com, and you can find me on Facebook at Come Back to Your Senses Radio or Leah Brenda Smith. Today, the show is about overcoming fear. Certainly something that we can all relate to and that we have all visited and visit from time to time. I just want to start off with a Chinese proverb that says, Fear is only as deep as the mind allows. So it's good for us to remember that. Fear is only as deep as the mind allows. And I certainly have been no stranger to fear. I have mentioned in previous shows about in my younger life when I was young, I was um, certainly shy and I was actually frightened of a lot of things. Um, The light, the darkness, not understanding, I guess, people's interactions and emotions and responses or why things happened the way that they did and I guess it was from that uh, confusion and that fear that I cultivated that keen desire to really observe and to really watch, to see what was going on, to see if I could piece it together and figure out why why did people do and say the things that they did and said. And freedom, freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. That really is the path to freedom. What is it are you going to do with what has been done to you? Because we can use our experiences of the past to prove prove to us that we need to be afraid. Or we can use the experiences of the past to lead us into a new direction towards fulfillment of our dreams. As I said, we're all afraid from time to time. There's fear of the unknown, and that's about as common as breathing. And there's also that excitement about the unknown, that excitement that spurs people into different directions, you know, so that they're looking for that greatest adventure of their lifetime. 
but your life, my life, life is real. It's real. It's more real than reality TV. And the basic tenet in life really is change, change, and more change. Or as Goenka, one of the revered teachers of Vipassana meditation says, Anicca, Anicca, Anicca. So even with all of the focus that we have on consistency and what we need in terms of being able to maintain our solid focus on routine and discipline, which we spoke about in a previous show, change is inevitable. And it's happening constantly, happening moment by moment. Some even suggest that the only constant in life is change. Now, fear is a thought that's at a lower vibratory frequency. Sure, we've inherited beliefs and fears from our ancestors. And we do have false beliefs that keep us stuck in negative patterns of fear. And beliefs that create the foundation of fear, they can be picked up from the environment. We can pick this up even when we're so young, uh, just when people are, are arguing around us. Or we can pick up on the fear and the strife from tragedies that a country has endured and experienced. We can pick up on our parents' fear while we're in the room, in the womb, in the room, in the womb, picking up on the fear of our parents. And we've all experienced the negative beliefs that sabotage us without even necessarily realizing it in the moment. Focusing in on your feelings, it can help you to begin to uncover your fear. You can approach overcoming fear from a place of being mindful or of witness consciousness. You can begin by simply allowing yourself to watch the thoughts and the feelings that are going on inside of you. And then allow yourself to be aware of the different body sensations that you may be experienced. With a little bit of mindfulness, you can ask yourself basic questions that can also help you to dissipate the fear. Questions like, am I in any real danger? Is there is this fear real or is it imagined? Have I felt this feeling before? And you could ask yourself, if so, when? And you may uncover that the fear that you're experiences, experiencing is actually a very common pattern. And the place where you feel it in your body may be very common. Some of the common places that people feel fear are in their belly, in their gut, in their solar plexus, certainly in their heart, or that fear, that lump in your throat that you get. Here's a little poem from Frank Hubert. He says, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. 
And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. And one of the things we certainly hear in that, you know, Frank's alluding to the fact that fear is something that's added. Fear is not the natural state. Carolyn Miss, she shares some things with us, and she believes that the fear of humiliation is really, that is, that is the fear that holds the greatest power over us and causes us our most defeats. Fear of humiliation, I certainly relate to that personally. It's curious to ponder what we would attract into our lives if we were not so concerned about being humiliated. It really is an old, outdated habit. It's certainly something that I picked up when I was very, very young and something that I have certainly uh, worked with to grow out of and grow through and come to that place of freedom. So it's an old, it can be a very old, outdated habit to give more power to fear and to failure than to happiness and success. You know, it's not uncommon to see ourselves as defeated before we've even begun. Saying, I can't do, I can't, I can't do that before you've even tried. Or not trying again based on an initial attempt that didn't go so well. But people are often controlled by the fear of being humiliated. And that one fear can hold you back from moving forward in your life. At the same time, few people really understand the liberation that accompanies the experience of being humble in the world. Because through humbleness, you can get over that paralyzing fear of being humiliated and worrying about what others are going to say or how you're going to look. Now, to dare to take a risk is to truly live. We often have uh, inspirational ideas that empower us to feel, we feel filled with enthusiasm. But then we can give up on the same idea just because of a fear of humiliation or a fear of being rejected. We don't always consider that the idea may actually be coming from a higher source of wisdom and is being sent specifically to inspire and to allow us to live from a place of empowerment and self-actualization. I've often thought about the idea that most people conjure up. You know, people conjure up this idea of being on a battlefield, the idea of battling fears and wrestling with their fears. And my path has been one of learning that what resists persists, and if I'm battling and fighting, then I'm persisting, I'm resisting and persisting. And through that realization, that's how it occurred to me that the way to be the best way or the best approach, it occurred to me, is to be present with the fear. To be present with the fear. So rather than battling the fear, the idea is to increase my trust to increase my trust rather than trying to 
battle the fear. It can be so helpful just to simply focus on your breath. Stay present and stay focused in your body. Notice the thoughts. Notice the feelings. And allow yourself to feel the body sensations. And Dale Carnegie tells us that inaction breeds doubt and fear. And action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, do not sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. So Dale Carnegie says, go out and get busy. Don't sit home and just think about it. Likely most people are very aware of their biggest fear and how this fear has shaped many of the decisions or at least the way that you make decisions in your life. And as a result, most people also have discovered then when life is dictated by fears, then there's not a lot of room really to relax and enjoy yourself. And you may wonder how to deal with the fear that you know is harming you. Well, the research indicates that fears have to be faced directly. In essence, many suggest that the cure for fear is doing the very thing that you fear doing. And psychologists encourage an incremental approach as the best way to avoid that vicious cycle of fear and avoidance and fear and avoidance. They suggest taking small but definite steps towards the goal of overcoming your fear by facing the situations that evoke some degree of anxiety and facing them often enough that eventually you face them with no anxiety at all. A process of gradually and systematically increasing the frequency and the intensity of the kinds of situations you fear to enter into, that you'll eventually overcome your fear. Julie Layton, she shares ideas about the anatomy of how fear works. And to illustrate the fear factor, she focuses on a real-life example that many people have experienced, or perhaps have experienced something similar to it. It's dark out, and you're home alone. The house is quiet, other than the sound of the show you're watching on TV. You see it, and hear it at the same time. The front door is suddenly thrown against the doorframe. Your breathing speeds up. Your heart races. Your muscles tighten. A split second later, You know it's the wind. No one is trying to get into your home. For a split second, you were so afraid that you reacted as if your life were in danger. Your body initiating that fight or flight response that is so critical to any animal's survival. But really, there was no danger at all. What happened to cause such an intense reaction? What exactly is fear? 
let's examine the psychological and physical properties of fear and find out what causes a fear response and look at some of the ways that you can really overcome that. Now, fear is a, it's a chain reaction in the brain. It starts with a stressful stimulus and then ends with the release of chemicals that cause a racing heart, fast breathing, and energized muscles. And all of this is known as the fight or flight response. The stimulus could be a spider, could be you falling, it could be that there's an auditorium full of people waiting for you to speak, or the sudden thud of your front door against the door frame. You know, the brain is such a profoundly complex organ. There's more than a hundred billion nerve cells that make up this intricate network of communication that's the starting point of everything that we sense and everything we think and everything we feel, everything we do. Now, some of the communication leads to conscious thought and conscious action, and others produce autonomic responses. And the fear response is almost entirely autonomic. We don't consciously trigger it or even know what's going on until it has actually run its course. Now, because cells in the brain are constantly transferring information and triggering responses, there's dozens of areas of the brain that are at least peripherally involved in fear. But research really research has discovered that certain parts of the brain play central roles in the process. And these parts of the brain that are involved in the fear response are the thalamus. And the thalamus decides where to send the incoming sensory data that's collected from your eyes and your ears and your mouth and your skin. And we have the sensory cortex, which interprets all of the sensory data. The hippocampus stores and retrieves the conscious memories and processes sets of stimulus to establish a context. And then the amygdala, it decodes the emotions, it determines the possible threat, and it stores our fear memories. And then the hypothalamus, which activates the fight or flight response. You know, the process of creating fear begins with a scary stimulus and ends with the fight or flight response. But there are really two paths that are involved in the fear response. There's what's referred to as the low road, which is quick and messy. And there's something called the high road, which takes more time. And it delivers a more precise interpretation of the events. But both of these processes really occur simultaneously. Now, the idea behind the low road is take no chances. That's really the fundamental principle behind it. If the front door to your home is suddenly knocking against the frame, it could be the wind. Or it could also be somebody trying to get in. 
It's far less dangerous to assume that it's a burglar and have it turn out to be the wind than it is to assume that it's the wind and have it turn out to be an intruder. So the the low road shoots first and asks questions later. This is kind of what the process would look like. The door is knocking against the door frame. That's the stimulus. Now, as soon as you hear the sound and see the motion, your brain sends the sensory data to the thalamus. Then at this point, the thalamus doesn't know if the signals that it's receiving are signs of danger or not. But since they might be, it forwards the information to the amygdala. And then the amygdala receives the neutral impulses and takes action to protect you. It tells the hypothalamus to initiate the fight or flight response that could save your life if what you're seeing and hearing turns out to be an intruder. Now the high road is much more thoughtful. While the low road is initiating the fear response just in case, the high road's considering all of the options. Is it a burglar or is it the wind? The long process looks like this. When your eyes and your ears sense the sound and the motion of the door, they relay this information to the thalamus. Then the thalamus sends the information to the sensory cortex where it's interpreted for meaning. The sensory cortex then determines that there is more than one possible interpretation of the data and passes this along to the hippocampus to establish the context. Then the hippocampus asks questions like, hmm, have I seen this particular stimulus before? If so, what did it mean that time? What other things are going on that might give me clues as to whether this is an intruder or a windstorm? The hippocampus might pick up on other data being relayed through the high road, like the tapping of branches against a window, or a muffled howling sound outside, or perhaps the clatter of the patio furniture moving around in the wind. And taking into account this other information, the hippocampus determines that the door action is most likely the result of the wind. And it sends a message to the amygdala that there is no danger. And the amygdala, in turn, tells the hypothalamus to shut off the flight or fight response. So the sensory data regarding the door, which is the stimulus, is following both paths at the same time. But the high road takes longer than the low road. And that's why you have a moment or two of terror before you calm down. But regardless of which path we're talking about, all the roads lead to the hypothalamus. And this portion of the brain controls that ancient survival reaction called the flight or fright response. Now to produce this fight or flight response, the hypothalamus activates two systems, the sympathetic nervous system and the adrenal cortical system. 
Now, the sympathetic nervous system uses nerve pathways to initiate reactions in the body. And the adrenal cortical system uses the bloodstream. So the combined effects of these two systems are this famous or infamous flight fright response. And the sudden flood of these dozens of hormones causes many changes in the body, and we're all familiar with them. When we're frightened, we have the heart rate and the blood pressure increase. Pupils dilate to take in as much light as possible. Veins in the skin constrict to send more blood to major muscle groups. That's what's responsible for that chill that's sometimes associated with fear and less blood in the skin to keep it warm. And we have the blood glucose level, which increases. The muscles tense up, energized by the adrenaline and glucose, and that's what's responsible for those goosebumps we feel when tiny little muscles attached to each hair on the surface of the skin tense up. And then the hairs are forced upright, pulling the skin with them. Then smooth muscles relax in order to allow more oxygen into the lungs. And non-essential systems like our digestion and the immune system, they shut down to allow more energy for the emergency functions. So trouble focusing on small tasks. The brain's directed to focus only on the big picture in order to determine where the threat's coming from. So all of these physical responses are really intended to help us survive a dangerous situation. By preparing, preparing to either run for your life or to fight for your life. Thus the term, fight or flight. Fear and the flight or fight response is an instinct that every animal possesses. No, that's what's happening inside the body and the brain of your dog when it hears the thunder and runs under the bed. If we couldn't be afraid, well, we wouldn't survive for very long. And in humans and in all animals, the purpose of fear is really to promote survival. And in the course of human evolution, the people who feared the right things survived to pass on their genes. And in passing on their genes, the trait of fear and the response to it were selected as beneficial to the race. So it's good to remember, it's good to remember that the purpose of fear is to promote survival. So the basic underlying thing with that then is we understand that the fear response is to protect us and for our survival. I guess really the most challenging aspect of that, given that all of these brain and responses in the body happen automatically for us to check out for our danger, would be our own mindfulness to be able to determine, like I mentioned earlier, we want to ask ourselves that question. Is this fear real or imagined? Because clearly many people, many people every day, all the time, have tremendous stress and pressure, being fearful of things that they're only imagining and that are really, there are no real threat to their survival, yet 
that fear response is still up and active. So a little bit of mindfulness can go a very, very, very long way. And let's just look for a minute at some common fears. There was a poll that was uh, conducted in 2005 that revealed some of the common fears of teenagers. This particular Gallup poll was done in the United States in 2005. So the list goes terrorist attacks, spiders, death, failure, war, heights, crime or violence, being alone, the future, and nuclear war. And most of these basic fears are carried into adulthood. You know, other common fears include public speaking, going to the dentist, pain, cancer, and snakes. And, you know, many people fear the same things. And I guess researchers refer to that as universal fears, universal fears that people have. You know, some studies show that humans might be genetically predisposed to fear. Certain harmful things like spiders and snakes and rats, which are all animals that once possessed a real danger to human beings because they were poisonous or they carried diseases. Or fear of snakes. For example, this has been found in people who have never even been in the presence of a snake. And this makes sense if you think about fear as an evolutionary instinct that's embedded in the human consciousness. You know, experiencing fear every now and then is just a normal part of life. But living with chronic fear, that can be both physically and emotionally debilitating. Imagine living with an impaired immune system and high blood pressure that causes illness and refusing to participate in daily activities because you might be confronted with heights or social interactions. Obviously, this doesn't make for a very fulfilling life. And Prevention Magazine did an article, What Are You Afraid Of?, offering tips for dealing with everyday fears. And there's some really great tips here. The first one says that it doesn't matter why you're scared. Knowing why you've developed a particular fear doesn't really do much to help you overcome it. And it can delay your progress in areas that will actually help you become less afraid. So the encouragement is to stop trying to figure it out. And the next tip is to learn about the thing you fear. Uncertainty is a huge component of fear, right? That fear of the unknown. But when we develop an understanding, develop an understanding of what you're afraid of, it can go a long way towards easing the fear. And number three is to train. So if there's something that you're afraid of, to try, if you're afraid to try it because it seems scary or difficult, then you could try small steps. Work in small steps. Slowly, you can build up that familiarity with something that's scary. 
and that'll help to make it more manageable. Here's a good one. Find someone who's not afraid. So if there's something that you're afraid of, then find someone who's not afraid of that thing and spend time with that person. You can invite them to go along with you when you go to try to conquer your fear. Clearly, it'll be much easier if you go with somebody that has already experienced what you're doing and they're not afraid. The next suggestion is to talk about it. Share your fear out loud. It can make it seem much less daunting. And I think it can also help sort through that sort of real and imagined uh, area that can sometimes be a little grave for people. When you speak about it out loud, expose the fear, talk about it. And the next suggestion is to play mind games with yourself. So if you're afraid of speaking in front of groups, it's probably because you think the audience is going to judge you. And we've all heard of this one, you know, the try imagining the audience members naked and you are the only one clothed. You're the only clothed person in the room and that puts you in a position, a much better position. Tip number seven is to stop looking at the grand scheme. Think only about each successive step. If you're afraid of heights... Don't think about being on the 40th floor of a building. Just think about getting your foot in the lobby. And the last suggestion from Prevention Magazine from that article says to seek help. Fear is not a simple emotion. If you're having trouble overcoming your fear on your own, then find a professional to help you. There's lots of treatments for fear. And no good reason not to try them under the guidance of someone with training and experience. So if any of you are experiencing fear that is debilitating, that's holding you back from social social situations or from achieving your goals, or some people, their fear is, is so intense that they actually do feel paralyzed. And it could uh, show up in the form of not even being able to speak because the fear is so debilitating. And there certainly are lots of great, great uh, therapists and uh, professionals that can help you. Uh, Trained professionals can help you if you have that level of intensity with your fears. You could seek professional help. And there are some other approaches that you can take that you can do on your own. And um, Dr. Judith Orloff, who's a... She assists people to attain emotional freedom. And she suggests that when we don't have a clear focus to overcome our fears, so if you don't have a plan, then the fear will try to overcome you. And, you know, we all know it's common to acquiesce to the powerful emotion of fear. And sometimes this happens consciously, but it often happens unconsciously. You know, fear is that emotional response to danger, both the real danger and the imagined danger. And the underlying energy of fear is comprised of the feelings and the thoughts that broadcast this notion that you're not safe and that you're not all right. But it's possible to short-circuit the energy of fear and to turn off that flight-or-fight response that's, that's generated by the amygdala. It's possible to train your brain 
to send chemicals to counteract that flight and fright response. Otherwise, fear and its hormones, they just intensify the thoughts and the feelings and the body sensations until, well, sometimes we just become wrought with stress because of something that we feel fearful about. You know, conditions like anxiety and depression or post-traumatic stress disorder, even autism and phobias are thought to be linked to abnormal functioning of the amygdala. And as a result of this damage or developmental problems or imbalances in the neurotransmitters that fire those messages through the brain. So if you find yourself in a state or a situation where you're feeling challenged by the emotion of fear, there's some simple things that you can do just to ease the agitated nervous system, which can help you to experience some immediate and over time certainly some long-term results. And the uh, first idea would be to eliminate stimulants, like eliminate coffee and sugar and other stimulants from your diet, because obviously stimulants increase that flight or fright response. You could make it your business to stay clear of situations that reinforce the fear and gravitate towards people in situations that have more of a calming or pleasing effect on your nervous system. And you could also stay clear of, you know, the traumatic news reports or violent TV shows or rush hour traffic even, arguments or other common stress inducers. And if you find yourself really in the midst of being driven by that adrenaline rush from fear, you can try some other solutions. And this is a, a, a process, it's called progressive relaxation technique. And it goes like this. Just allow yourself to move into a comfortable position, either sitting or lying down. And take a few deep breaths. And just let your body become as relaxed as possible. And then when you're ready, you can begin by tightening the muscles in your toes. And just hold them to a count of ten. And then you can relax. And focus on the relief that comes when you feel that tension and that holding in your body dissolving. So that's really the point of this. Focus on the breath. Let your body become relaxed. And then go through a process of, on purpose, tightening, the, tightening your muscles. You can start down at your feet. Hold for a count of ten. And then let go. And then focus on that sensation of the relief that comes when you feel everything dissolving. And you could do the same thing. You could just go up through your body, start with your feet, then move up to your calves, your thighs, your stomach, your back, your jaw, your face, and just go through that process of contracting and releasing each area. 
So that's a little relaxation technique that you can use for yourself if you find yourself in the midst of in the midst of that adrenaline rush and you need to calm down. Another great thing you can do is immerse yourself in hot water to relax your muscles, relax the tension. You can add sea salt or baking soda to your bath. These are really good to assist in releasing toxicity from the body and from your energy field. You know, fears are thoughts that we have created usually after having negative experiences. And we say usually after because... Sometimes fears don't just come from our own experience. They also come from other people around us. You know, we may experience a negative event and we reinforce the fear by thinking about it and analyzing the negative impact on our lives. And then fears are created and perpetuated and sustained in our mind from that little process that we go through by living it or reliving it over and over again. You know, trauma or bad experiences can trigger the fear response within us, and it's hard It's hard to suppress it. As you know, it's that automatic, unconscious little thing that happens in the brain as we took you through the anatomy of that. And yet some, some people take the approach that exposing ourselves to our personal fears is the best way to move past them. And Frederick, Dr. Frederick Newman, he shares a personal story in his book, Fighting Fear, about overcoming his fear of drowning. And woven throughout his experience of learning to swim, he suggests six principles for overcoming phobias. You know, he says that both of his parents were phobic in general, but they had particular fear of water. His mother had said that both he and his father had had near-drowning experience. And since neither of them knew how to swim, then Dr. Newman was never really near a beach or a swimming pool. And he came to believe after a while that his mother really told him that story about being uh, afraid of water to frighten him so that he would stay away from the water. And in general, that kept him safe. You know, they didn't want him to swim or to bicycle or to drive or to walk through dangerous neighborhoods or to go without sleep and so on. But he says, by the time I was 16, I was afraid of the water. But as it turned out, my college required me to pass a swimming test in order to matriculate. So hmm, it wasn't much of a test. I had to stay afloat for 10 minutes, but I couldn't do it. So I took lessons to learn how to swim. And I realized many years later that learning how to swim captured many of the elements we use in the treatment of phobias. So I went, he said he spent the afternoon in the shallow end of my school swimming pool while everyone else played water polo. So the first principle, in order to overcome a phobia, the affected person has to spend time publicly trying to do things that everybody else can do effortlessly. Now, phobics are easily embarrassed, but recovering requires that others find out about their phobias. Dr. Newman says, I was told to stand in the shallow water near the edge of the pool and fall towards the edge where I caught myself. I did this seemingly pointless exercise over and over again. And after about a half hour, I called to the swimming coach who was walking by and asked him, well, what should I do next? And he said, just do what I tell you to do. 
so I spent the rest of the hour falling forward against the wall of the pool. The next day I did the same. I thought the coach had forgotten about me, but finally, when there was a few minutes left in the session, he asked me to take a step back and then jump a little to the edge of the pool. So that's what I did all of the next day. Each day, I went a few inches further to the edge of the pool until finally I had to jump to get to the edge. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I was beginning to relax in the water. Second principle, practicing to overcome a phobia takes time, sometimes a lot of time, and repetition. So every once in a while when the jumps had become pretty long, I missed the edge of the pool and my hand went into the water and it was kind of mimicking that action of like taking a stroke when you're swimming. My face went under the water and I had to squeeze the water out of my eyes when I came out. I wondered how all those water polar players at the other end of the pool could go in and out of the pool without having to rub the water out of their eyes. But it wasn't awful. So the third principle, the things phobics are afraid of, are not so awful when they do happen. Well, there is, well then, that comes after the what if. So what if my face goes in the water? Well, then I stand up and wipe the water from my eyes. So in another week, I was skimming across the surface of the water as I took bigger jumps. And not long after, I was doing the dog paddle. And then I started to paddle my way into the deep water, making sure that I was within grabbing distance of the edge of the pool. But sometimes I felt more nervous than other times. The fourth principle, you can judge progress by what you can do, not by how you feel. So if you're not panicking, but you're not doing something a little more difficult than what you did yesterday, you're not getting better. But if you are nervous or panicky all the time, but you are going further and further into the phobic situation, well, then you are getting better. Now, sometime later, I had to confront swimming from one part of the pool to the opposite side, away from all supports. I got stuck there for a few days, until one of the players on the polo team offered to swim nearby. The fifth principle. Phobics run into stuck points from time to time, and using an aid or a helper makes all the difference. And I also learned how to swim, but not with my face in the water. That had to wait until swimming goggles came along, but now I swim most days. I like it. The sixth principle, sometimes the very things phobics are afraid of give them the most satisfaction when they are no longer afraid. I remember a woman, for instance, who was afraid of the ski lift, and she became a downhill racer. And I know a, a few people who once were afraid of driving, but now drive whenever they feel under stress or for any other reason. So Dr. Newman also suggests that getting over a panic disorder is more challenging, but he also encourages the notion that the formula that he used for overcoming his fear of drowning can also help anyone recover from a phobia. So let me just list those again. The first principle, in order to overcome a phobia, the affected person has to spend time publicly trying to do things that everyone else can do effortly, effortlessly. Second, practicing to overcome a phobia takes time, 
sometimes a lot of time and requires repetition. Third, the things phobics are afraid of are not so awful when they do happen. Fourth, you can judge progress by what you can do, not how you feel. Fifth, phobics run into stuck points from time to time, and using an aid or a helper makes all the difference. And the sixth, sometimes the very thing that phobics are afraid of give them the most satisfaction when they are no longer afraid. You know, one of the... Um, one of the most common and biggest fears people have in their lives is the fear of failure. They're afraid they won't succeed if they try something new. They fear that mm, they might never make it. And they fear, of, because of that, they're afraid of doing what they're really passionate about. And also, there's fears that keep people from following their heart. You know, clearly no one wants to live a life from a place of letting fear make those big decisions of your life for you. And it's not necessarily easy to overcome the fear of failure. But once you build up the confidence to not let fear hold you back, then you'll be amazed at what you can actually achieve. I'll just share with you a couple of quotes, a few quotes here that, that you may find that can support you when you're afraid to do something because you think that you'll fail. And maybe the inspiration from these quotes can make a difference for you in taking more risks in your life and reaching for your dreams. So Eleanor Roosevelt says, Do one thing every day that scares you. And Lily Tomlin, Don't be afraid of missing opportunities. Behind every failure is an opportunity somebody wishes they had missed. And Virgil Thompson, try a thing you haven't done three times. Once, to get over the fear of doing it. Twice, to learn how to do it. And a third time, to figure out whether or not you like it. And Bill Cosby says, in order to succeed, your desire for success should be greater than your fear of failure. And Bertrand Russell, fear is the main source of superstition and one of the main sources of cruelty. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom. And here's an anonymous quote, never be afraid to try something new. Remember, amateurs built the ark, professionals built the Titanic. And Albert Hubbard, the greatest mistake you can make in life is to continually be afraid that you will make one. Then Henry Ford, one who fears failure limits his activities. Failure is only the opportunity to be more intelligently, to, to begin more intelligently. And Benjamin Franklin, do not fear mistakes. You will know failure. Continue to reach out. You know, in the Native American traditions with the animal totems and animal medicine, rabbit is the animal totem that represents fear. And there's a little, just a little poem here in the beginning of the write-up about rabbit medicine. It says, rabbit, sacred little rabbit, please drop your fright. Running doesn't stop the pain 
or turn the dark to night. So the paralyzed feeling that rabbit experiences when being stalked is really about rabbit in its contrary position. So if you've tried to resolve a situation in your life and you aren't able to, you may be feeling frozen in motion. This could indicate a time when you need to reevaluate the process that you're undergoing and just rid yourself then of the negative feelings and the barriers or the duress that you're under. Simply put, you cannot have your influence felt until you rearrange your way of seeing the present circumstance. You know, there's always a way out of any situation because the universal force does move on and it's in the way in which you handle problems that allows you to succeed. So let's take a hint from Rabbit. You know, sometimes we need to burrow into a safe place to nurture ourselves and release our fears until it's time again to move out into the world and share your beautiful energy. And I just want to end today with this, this uh, something I saw on the internet that really, really struck me. And so picture this. One day, a farmer, a farmer's donkey fell into a well. The animal cried pitifully for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. Finally, he decided the animal was old and the well needed to be covered up anyways, and it just wasn't worth it to retrieve the donkey. So he invited all of his neighbors to come over and to help him. They all grabbed a shovel and began to shovel dirt into the well. At first, the donkey realized what was happening and he cried horribly. Then, to everyone's amazement, he quietened down. A few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down the well, and he was astonished at what he saw. With each shovel of dirt that hit his back, the donkey was doing something amazing. He was shaking it, shaking the dirt off of his back, and then taking a step up. And as the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel the dirt on top of the animal, he would shake the dirt off of his back and then take another step up and then shake it off and take another step up. And pretty soon, everyone was amazed as the donkey stepped up over the edge of the well and just happily trotted off. So the moral of this little story is that life is going to shovel dirt on you, all kinds of dirt on you, in the form of all kinds of fears. But the trick to getting out of the well is to shake it off and to take a step up. Each of our troubles is like a stepping stone. Each of our fears is a stepping stone. And we can get out of the deepest wells just by not stopping, by never giving up. Shake it off and take a step up. I love that little story about the donkey. <laughs> Shake it off and take a step up. I thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. I am your ever grateful host, Leah Brenda Smith. And I look forward to the next opportunity to bring another topic of interest that can help us to shake it off and take a step up. So until next time, 
I encourage you to relax and enjoy your life. We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.